actually need a little help with this. Oh, wait, there we go, I got it. Uh, my name is uh, D.H., and I uh, was born and raised in San Francisco, California, but I actually live in Oakland, California now. Uh, I'm so nervous. And then... <laughs> I'm so nervous. <laughs> uh, I've been pretty anxious sitting there, and then right before uh, uh, I was called up here, I remember this thing that happened to me when I was uh, when I was uh, in the process of going to nursing school. There would uh, there would often be uh, a lot of tests, and I was really fearful of not being able to um, get it pass, pass it. I often thought I was going to fail, and so I would uh, say a prayer in my car before I would go in for my exam. And the prayer always went something like this: It was. Uh, God, I'm not asking you to give me something that I haven't worked for. If I didn't do my homework, I'm not asking you for that. I'm asking you to just show up and allow me to access what I what I work for. And uh, and if there's a question on the exam that I don't have a clue, but it's not because I don't I didn't study for it. I just like my mind goes blank. If you could just give me a little edge on that one. <laughs> so so that's the prayer I said when I was sitting there because. I've been really conflicted about what to say to people because my my story has a lot of trajectory. There's like there's the before, there's the before, there's the middle, there's the end. But even in that, there's a lot of pathways. And so I'm going to tell you uh, what it was like. Um, I was born and raised in San Francisco. I have uh, I, my mom lied about my ethnicity. Uh, so for the longest time, I thought I was half Mexican, but I'm not. I'm a quarter Italian, and I'm a I'm a quarter Mexican, and my dad is a lot of different kinds of whites. And, uh, um, however, I was primarily raised uh, believing the big piece of me was Mexican. And so out of that, I got to uh, learn how to speak Spanish, which has been a blessing my entire life. Um, my mom was an alcoholic. She also had a lot of severe mental health issues. And as someone who works in the field and has an understanding of mental health, um, I, uh, like, there's been times in my life when I did not understand my mom from a clinical perspective, but if I had to name it, I would say that she has a lot of, she had a lot of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms and probably bipolar. And, um, and that's what I got to grow up with was primarily her overshadowing mental health. Now, if anybody understands bipolar to any degree, there was ups and there was downs. There was times when my mom was glorious. She could, she had a great sense of humor, which she gave to uh, me and my siblings, and she also had that same sense of humor that could be wicked and turn just on a dime. And oftentimes, uh, I felt that as well. Um, she, um, my dad was. Uh, should have been in Al-Anon. And I wanted to say that I am also a grateful member of Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon. My primary program, I have to say, is Alcoholics Anonymous, but it, it is always with uh, a sort of a, a, a big essence of Al-Anon because I, uh, it's not that I don't completely not crave to uh, use or drink, but mostly what I have is relational problems now. I don't, uh, I don't struggle with, am I going to use today? Um, so I just want to say that. And so my dad was a, a, a big codependent. And my dad loved me a lot, but he loved my mom more. And so oftentimes he would have to choose between what was best for me and how he could continue to love my mom in her mental 
health. And so what does my mom's mental health look like? It looked like when I was uh, growing up, a lot of drinking, a lot of parties, then she had a lot of gay men friends. And it was the late 60s, early 70s, and so we had a lot of people in our house that uh, are no longer on the planet because of the HIV epidemic. Uh, we had a lot of people from the courts in our house, in and out, and they were great to grow up with. They were great uncles to have, and uh, and it was crazy. It was crazy to have all that drinking and partying going along. And by the time I was around 10 or 11, my mom was in and out of mental institutions. Like she, uh, at the time, they gave a lot of drugs to people who had mental health symptoms, stuff like amphetamines. They gave downers. Um, and so I was able to glean some of those things from my mom, you know, like, <laughs> uh, so, like, so, uh, uh, So we had a parallel. We had a parallel. My mom would go in the hospital, and I would visit her all the time. I would visit her all the time because when I wasn't visiting her or taking care of her at home, if I went to school, oftentimes that's when my mom would end up in the hospital. And so there was some kind of connection that if I could stay close to my mom, I could keep her well. And when she would come out of the hospital, I would have some kind of, I would end up in some kind of institution. So... Um, at around the age 12, it came kind of to a, a sort of a pivotal point where I ended up in my uh, the first institution, which was Juvenile Hall. I got really, really drunk. I caused an accident on Mission Street where two cars collided because they were watching me stumble down the street. I was so intoxicated on uh, alcohol that I could not lift myself, and I, I just looked like a mess. And um, so uh, that was my first taste from about... 11 or 12, and you cannot hold me to linear time because my time just kind of, I can't, I don't have it all here. Uh, um, but from the time I was about 11 uh, to 25, I was in and out of institutions, whether it was jail or juvenile hall or places like Langley Porter. Um, I was, uh, and what would happen is I'd go in those places and people would fall in love with me. I was just like, I was smart, I was funny, and um I looked like I should be going someplace else rather than being in these institutions, but my life was a mess. At the end of my time, up until 25, uh, I ended up with two children who are the product of prostitution, um, so uh, trick babies. Um, uh, I um, was as queer as I am today, only, you know, I was sleeping with men to get money. I got it for alcohol. And I also got it for drugs. My my drug of choice towards the end of that route was heroin. But in between, you know, like, so I, I, I like to name my drugs of choice by, by which, which drug I was using when I delivered which child. And so so with my, my eldest daughter, I was strung out on meth. It wasn't called meth then. It was just, you know, speed or whatever. And, um, but... When I, when I tried to get off of that, it took, it took me a year to stop being paranoid. I just want to say, it took me a year. I was so afraid. I, there was nothing I could put up against the windows because people could see through the tiny threads to get into me. And it was a terrible, frightful, fearful place to be. I got over that by drinking, by drinking. And when I was drinking, what happened was is I would get off of that, I would go home and live with my crazy mom, who was always so grateful to see me, because as long as I was a mess, she looked better. I felt the same way. As long as she was a mess, I looked better. The last drug was heroin, and uh, um, what happened was is that I ended up on the streets, um, um, and I... 
I knew that I was not going to make it out alive. So I wrote a letter to my mom. And my dad's in this story, but it's always my mom I had to go to because he would not really help me unless my mom was on board. And my brothers and sisters were around, but they were pretty trapped by her emotional sort of, uh, uh, if, if she said it was okay to love me, then it was okay for them to love me. So I called my mom and I wrote this letter and I sent it. I said, hey, you know, I just want to say this, mom. I really, really love you. I don't think I'm going to see you again because I really did feel that I was probably going to die on the streets, whether either by my own hand or by drugs or by somebody else. I did not feel like I was going to be able to see my family again. And so I wrote it and I sent it off. And then in that same moment, I, I decided to say a prayer. And it was kind of weird because I'd grown up in Catholic uh, schools. And I said, I don't know who you are. I don't know if you're Buddha or you're like some Zen person or maybe you're Jesus. I said, but I really, really need some help. And if you're up there, I really wish you would help me. And then I kind of went off on my day and I pulled another trick and I did some more dope. And then I got arrested 12 times in two weeks. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And so from, so that is what my drug use looked like. And there are like a lot of terrible stories that I could tell you about really what that looked like, but that's sort of the gist of it. And I really want to tell you how blessed I've been because of recovery. I got third, I, I ended up going into a drug treatment program. I was, uh, uh, six months pregnant when I, uh, decided to go into Walden House. And, um, but they wouldn't take me because I was pregnant. And they said, hey, <laughs> they do this weird thing. Hey, call in every day and check in and uh, to let us know you're still interested. And so I did that for many, many months. And my mom used to laugh at me. She goes, ah, you're checking into that program again. I go, yeah. And so finally I delivered my, uh, my youngest daughter, the one that was the heroin daughter, and then there's the speed daughter. But she's the heroin daughter. And she, um, what, I delivered her, and I pretty much gave her over to my mom immediately because as soon as I delivered, Walden House said, come on in. There's a lot of stories about Walden House. It took me, instead of two years, four years. And I learned a lot of stuff in there. I learned how to be honest. I learned what rigorous honesty looks like and, and also kind of a black and white thinking about recovery, which actually didn't end up serving me, but it served me in the beginning. I got three, 13 years out of the time I spent in Walden House. And I would go to AA meetings, and I would go to meet girls. I would go to socialize. I would go because I didn't have any other place to go. And in that 13 years, I got into a huge battle with my family over the custody of my kids because I wanted them back. And I was in a relationship with somebody who I thought could help me raise my children in a really amazing way. And uh, my mom didn't want to give them back. And there's a whole story about that. I mean, it's like that whole Al-Anon thing, right? But uh, I was like, I want my kids. I want my kids. But I wasn't, I was afraid to go up against my family because I knew that if I went to court, I would lose my family. And there was a lot of people in my life that said, nah, 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 come on, you can do it, you can do it. I went to court for custody of my kids, and I lost my family. They stopped talking to me. My mom made my life miserable. I had to pay, like, so much child support, so much lawyers. I ended up going, uh, I've filed bankruptcy twice in recovery. And, and I don't blame that on my mom. I, you know, like, I, there are consequences to my drug usage, including the custody piece of my of my relationship with my children. But what I want to say is during that 13 years, I did not utilize AA the way I utilize it now. And if I had, I may have had a different kind of solution. 
Because I would go to meetings and I would talk crap about my mom. I would talk crap about the legal system. I would ju- it was just mis- misery, misery, misery. However, I decided to get a, um, a sponsor, and I used that sponsor exactly the same way. The person I asked, who is, was amazing for a lot of people, it didn't work out for me because I wasn't willing to do the work, was Wiki Stamps. I think some people know her. Yeah, and so, um, but it was it was crazy good times. I got to meet a lot of people. I just would go to meetings and walk away still miserable because all I was doing was dumping, dumping, dumping. So at 13 years, that wonderful relationship I was in, the one that I thought that I could raise my children in, and we actually have done a great job of raising my kids, ended because I was a miserable sack, kind of. You know what I mean? I had no, I had clean time, but I had no recovery. It was hard to be around me. I, I mean, I can look at it in hindsight, and in between that, I was a glorious person. I was funny. I was good to be around. On the other side of that, I was jealous. You know, my money was crap. I, you know, I couldn't figure out how to do it. I was gambling a lot. I, my kids have some horror stories of my parenting style in early recovery. So at 13 years, we broke up, and I at the, it happened to be like, you know, sort of like I was talking to my sponsor about when worlds collide. There's times when worlds collide in a good way, and there's times when they collide in a And so my partner breaks up with me. Um, I'm struggling at work, and I'm also undiagnosed that I have uh, Graves' disease, which is a thyroid condition. And for me, what it did was it made my heart race a lot. I was anxious all the time. I was paranoid. I didn't know what was happening. And so when I went to my uh, therapist, who happened to be a psychiatrist, they were like, hey, let's get some blood work done, but I'm going to give you some Ativan. And uh, the Ativan worked, and <laughs> and, when, and when we broke up, I used it more than I was supposed to. I took it the way it wasn't prescribed to be. And when I ran out, um, I tried to figure out a way to get more. And so when we broke up, I made a pact um, that I was going to try and take care of myself in some kind of big way. I'm going to take myself on some, like, vacation. So I took myself to Mexico, and I was going to go by myself. And um, i got to say that my higher power is amazing because they've taken care of me from, from even when I was a little wee nut. There was somebody watching out for me. So I do this even now. I, I turned around and I said to my kid, I said, hey, I'm going to Mexico. And she goes, I want to go. Now, at that time, she was about 17. And I was like, sure, that sounds like a good idea. And as soon as I said it, I was like, why the hell did I do that? Now I have to take care of her emotionally or some shit like that, right? (laughs) Right? (laughs) You know, so she comes on the trip. We have a wonderful trip, but in between, I'm making calls to my ex because I'm so full of anxiety that she's left me and I want to be back with her. And I can't, I can't breathe with how much my heart is grieving from this relationship that I had been in and I had thought was going to be like the forever relationship. And so I would call her, I would feel anxiety and I had no more Ativan. But you know, in Mexico, you can get Ativan. It's over the counter. You could just go in. And that is what I did. And to be honest with you, two things saved me. One, that my kid was there. And I did not feel like I could fall apart. I did not feel like I could do that to my daughter. And so I just kind of chilled. Because if she hadn't been there, I would have drank. That's the truth. And I took the medication the way kind of it should have been prescribed. It wasn't like I was overdoing it. I was just doing it to chill. But it was wrong. It was wrong. And when I got back, I was miserable because I had been misusing that medication for a bit. And uh, I, I decided that I needed to come clean because I had all these sober friends, all these people um, 
that I needed to feel like I was right. That was the one thing I got from Walden House. They used to say, if you cannot stand up in Harvey Hall, I don't know if anybody in here is from Walden House, if you cannot stand up here in Harvey Hall and tell everybody your truth, there's something wrong with you. Now, <laughs> that is true. That is true for me. You know what I mean? Like, my life right now is an open book. You, I can pretty much say anything. I'm not proud of everything, but I can say anything and still do it. So um, I felt like I couldn't do that at that point. And um, I want to, I'm just going to take a break from that because I want to talk about living sober. I was introduced to in living sober, I think this is that linear time thing. It was either 86 or 87 through Walden House, and it was the best time ever for me. It was like sober. I was like, this is the way life is supposed to be, like having fun, joking, being around people that are all doing the right thing. It was so much fun. And I have felt that way every year when I come here. And um, so hold that thought. So I <laughs> so so um, I come back and I tell my psychiatrist that I have been mismanaging this meds. And then I go on and I tell my friends. And I'm in a conundrum because I now in some parts of me feel like I feel weird about my 13 years of sobriety. And so I go out to find a new uh Sponsor, and I want that sponsor to punish me. I want that sponsor to tell me, you, you don't have 13 years and you gotta start all over. But the person I picked, and I don't even think they'd remember me, but it's like that kind of internal, like, I'm so, everybody's looking at me. Um, she had a bunch of young people as her sponsees, and I was like an old person to, in my eyes, and I said, hey, so this is what happened. Do I need to change my, my sobriety date? She goes, you need to do whatever feels good to you. And I was like, I hated her. I hated her. <laughs> I hated her so much. And so then what I did was I stopped going around. I stopped going, you know what I mean, like hanging out. And I just let that relationship go away. And um, I will tell you that I have at some point uh, rectified that. I did change my date. And so my new sobriety date is uh, uh, <laughs> living sober, uh, 1998. So I have uh, 21 years. <clears throat> I was a little irritated when they went from July to August, just a little bit. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> so, but I don't like it. It used to be Fourth July, but it's just living sober. So every year, that is when I celebrate my time because I get to be around all of you. Now, in sobriety, I have I've struggled. I'm not a perfect human being, and so that next eight years after that 13 year break, I struggled. I still was miserable, and I couldn't figure out what the hell was the matter with me. You know what I mean? Like I changed my date. I wasn't using and stuff like that. And so, after eight years of being miserable, you know, like kind of doing in out, going to living sober every year, uh, getting my annual fix, standing up, right? And I got to tell you, when I first came back after that changing my date. I was miserable to stand up and say I had one year. I was miserable at two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, all the way. You know what I mean? It wasn't until probably, I don't know, five years ago that I started to feel like, you can let that go, D. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a new day. <laughs> so, um, so I, at eight years, I was miserable, and I shot off another prayer to my higher power that said, uh, um, basically, um, I'm miserable. And I don't know what to do, and I really need a path. And I keep hedging my bets with you about turning my complete will over to you because I am really afraid that if I do that, you are going to make me straight. And, and, 
And it like it sounds really funny, but like it, it, like it is it, it was like such a fear. It was such a fear because I didn't want to be straight. I didn't. I was like pretty comfortable with who I was. But the prayer I said that day was like. I'm miserable. You know what I mean? And if your will is to turn me straight and you make me a happy person who's happy in my sobriety and with the life I have, then go for it. Go for it. I think I'll be okay. And God hasn't made me straight. (laughs) But what happened was I discovered... uh, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I had about eight years clean time. I got a sponsor with eight months uh, clean time. I didn't know that when I picked him, and he didn't know I had eight years when he said yes, and we worked it out. At four months, he went out. and But he gave me the, the, the gift of the program because he knew the big book. He had a sponsor. He was looking for sponsees. He was working his program. He was going to meetings, and that is what he gave me. So when he went out without much ado, I went and found me another sponsor. And the person I picked was somebody, again, who had less time than me. And this is another name that people are going to know, Jane Fox. And the thing about, yeah, the thing about Jane Fox was she was perfect for me because prior to that, I really wanted my higher power and everybody to beat me up. Like, you know, you're a bad person. You're a bad person. Every time I make a mistake in sobriety, you're a bad person. But that was not Jane's style. And she would just say stuff like, eh, you're human or proceed, <laughs> proceed as if you're guided. You know what I mean? Like, like, and, and, and she gently walked me through the steps, which I had uh, dabbled in, but not really done. So she took me through the steps, and um, I will I will say this about uh, sponsorship. Um, I have picked really bad sponsors for me, not bad sponsors for somebody else, but bad sponsors for me. And I've managed to pick some very glorious sponsors. And the sponsors that were the worst for me were people that were um, unavailable or like. Um, like, our styles didn't fit. You know what I mean? And I kept thinking it was me. Like, there's something wrong with me. But sometimes it doesn't fit, and that's okay. You move on, and you find somebody who's going to work work for you. And so Jane Fox worked for me because she let me be a free-range person. You know what I mean? I came in. I went out. You know what I mean? Like, she'd see me at meetings. We'd do our step works. It was it was great. And when I struggled, I would call her. And so um, I have had multiple surgeries in recovery. Um, and I've had to take narcotics in recovery, which has been really, really challenging because I am uh, an ex-heroin uh, addict. So the first time was my hip replacement. And uh, um, one of the things that when I went through the steps with Jane was we got we finished the steps. And I was, you know, I did my fourth step. I did my fifth step, all the ones in between. And I was stuck on step 12, the one about service. I kept raising my hands in meeting and nobody would pick me. And I was like, what the hell? What's, you know, my, is my speech not good enough or something? I don't know. You know what I mean? It just felt like nobody was picking me and I felt stuck. And so, um, I had the surgery in 2014 and, um, I was really, I was really in a dark place. I had been taking those drugs and I was at home and I, I was taking the drugs the way they were supposed to, but there just came like it all of a sudden tunnel vision. And I woke up one day and I was like, uh, my partner was worried about me because I wasn't calling anybody. I wasn't talking to anybody. And she said, you have to call your friend DK. You have to call her. And so I called her. I called her because, and this is like sort of a, a theme for me, is that when it gets really dark 
and it's mostly like situational and around sort of medication. When it gets really dark, I start to think that people don't love me. And I, that particular day, I was like, my friend doesn't love me because I'm not clean, I'm not sober, and she, that's why she's not calling me, and that's why she's not visiting me. And so my partner made me, made me call her, and I told her, I said, uh, I said, I don't think you love me, and I think you think I'm an addict. And she was like, what is the matter with you? And so, <laughs> I, 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 it was dark, and she would just came over, and she started taking me to meetings, and it's the craziest thing, because she took me to um, some meetings in the East Bay, uh, the Rock Ridge Fellowship. Um, there's a meeting that happens at 5 o'clock on uh, Sunday nights. It's a women's meeting, and I went there, and uh, this is the gift of service and giving back. I found somebody who was in worse shape than me. In that moment, <laughs> there was, <laughs> um, it, you know, like I went and they said, okay, who can sponsor? And I raised my hand and um, there was this person who was really shaky, like uh, really having a hard time with quitting alcohol. And instead of waiting for her to pick me, I walked up to her after and I said, hey, um, my name is Dee and uh, I saw in there that you're new. Do you have a sponsor? No. I said, um, I am available, and if you want to try me out on a temporary basis or just call me, I'd be available. And it was amazing. She picked me. <laughs> she picked me, but what was better was is that I got to learn with her how to be a sponsor and how not to be a sponsor because our styles did not jive. She was not the kind of alcoholic that I was. She went to work every day. She didn't wasn't prostituting on, on the streets of San Francisco. She had a like a big old job and had been doing that for a long time and managing to get it done while drinking herself into oblivion and causing havoc throughout her life. Her, her life wasn't perfect. But we would, like she, <laughs> this was funny, she, uh, we would go to meetings and I would get there with not enough time to get a good parking space. So I did what I always do and I don't do it so much anymore, but this is me in sobriety. <laughs> um, I would park in this yellow zone. And she would go, what are you doing? And I'd go, oh, you know, it's, they're not going to ticket me. And even if they do, it's, it's okay. You know, it's all right. It's all good. And she, but it just mortified her that I would, <laughs> that I would park illegally. And, uh, so I, and then the other thing that mortified her was, is that I am, uh, late a lot. You know what I mean? It's like one of my character defects. So like, uh, she would say, okay, we're going to be there. And I'd be, I'd be like, um, uh, <laughs> he just gave me the five minute warning. She would say, she would say, like, it would bum her out. We broke up on the best, in the best way. She got two years sober at that time. She broke up. And we just decided that we needed to be, uh, like, that her uh, kind of, uh, what, what it didn't feel like criticism, but her, um, us rubbing against each other made me feel bad for being somebody that's constantly late and not being able to serve her in the way that she wanted. And she felt bad that I was doing that. And so we just decided to break up. We're still friends. She still calls me for support. She still calls me for support. So having said that, Jane Fox. Jane Fox was my sponsor for approximately 10 years, and she was lovely. And then for those of you know that about a little bit over a year ago, she passed away. And um, I knew that if I did not get a new sponsor right away, I would be in trouble because it's easy for me to lose uh, the program. And so I got another sponsor, and... Uh, Grateful to have her, and we've been working together for about a year. The second, the, the other thing is, is that I have sponsees, and what I'm going to just give you a couple of things that I do to stay sober. 
So one thing is, I always have at least two sponsees that are active. I have three right now. One's not so active. So I try, I try to bookend them. So I'll say, I'm going to go to a meeting on Sunday. You meet me before. I'll meet you after. That way, if one bails, I still got to go to that meeting, right? So that keeps me going to the meetings, right? And, uh, and the second thing I do is oftentimes I don't know if I'm all right. I wake up in the morning, I have angst. And so what I do is I have a checklist that I go through to see if I'm okay. The checklist is, have I done my homework? Which it could mean, you know, like, uh, do I have a commitment at living sober? Did I do the work that I was supposed to? If that's okay, I let it go. Is my rent or my mortgage paid? If that's okay, I let it go. If my financial house is in order, I can let it go. My relationships, are they in order? Is my partner in my relationship good? I can let it go. And then if everything is in order, or if it's not, I try to fix it, right? I try to take care of the thing that's caused me angst. But if it's all in order, I go... It's just a feeling, and for the most part, it will pass. I know that because I have 21 years that says that I can bank one more day and I can probably feel better tomorrow. I'm so grateful to be here tonight. I hope that you got something from my share. If you're a newcomer and anything I said didn't resonate for you, go to another meeting. Thank you so much.